God, and you continuously look out after us, Lord God, to speak to us, Lord God, to get us on track, to move our minds in a direction, Lord God, that's pleasing to you. And now, Father, we ask you that your words would penetrate our hearts deeply. We ask you that uh, we would not be the same people that, uh, in which we walked into this place. We ask you that we'd be changed by your spirit, changed by your words today, Lord. Again, Father, there is none other uh, by which uh, men and women and boys and girls can be saved other than Jesus Christ. So teach us your ways to walk in your principles and in your precepts and in your commands. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. A few weeks ago after Bible study, we were talking about Benjamin earlier. Uh, uh, Benjamin was demonstrating uh, how he could float in the air. Now you're probably thinking, okay, that's different. Because what does Bible study got to do with floating in the air, right? But uh, when I was looking at him, I was absolutely fascinated. And I, I asked him, keep doing it. I was trying to figure out, how, how is he floating in the air? And then the next thought came to my mind, those Davises, what are they doing to their kids? <laughs> but I was looking, I wanted him to do it again and again, trying to figure out how in the world is he lifting himself up? Uh, of course, uh, Benjamin, he really didn't uh, float in the air. It was nothing but an illusion. We were seeing one thing, and our mind was telling us that that's what it is, but really something else was going on. You know, sin is much like that. Sin is like an illusion. It creates an impression that it's one thing, when on the other hand, it's really something else. Sin says, I invite you to uh, the pleasures of a lifetime, and everything is going to be well. That is the tourist video of sin. But if you've ever seen a tourist video of anything, and uh, and in some cases, and you actually end up going there, you find out, again, that those are two different things. And sin is like that illusion. Sin tells us that everything is good. You're going to be happy. Just do it, says the Nike swish. But with Benjamin in that corrected angle, it somehow, and I still haven't quite figured it out, I can guess in my mind, he has to show me the other side of that today, amen, and know that we're not doing magic here at the Church of Chicago. It's nothing but an illusion. It's not black magic. It's uh, fun magic, amen. So for those of you who are listening who think, uh, I never ever want anything to do with that church, they're doing magic. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with that. God bless you. But that one point of view it can be very misleading because it always pulls you in to say, uh, no, uh, that what you know to be reality, that is not true. You need to believe what you see. So it's sin. It's high time for us to see things the way they really are. To stop fooling ourselves. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 51. Verse 5. 
We began this series last week on the true heart of confession. And as we talked about a King David, and as uh, he was under the illusion that what he saw in Bathsheba would make him ultimately happy. But we have to understand, and here's this first major point, that prior to Christ, before Christ, the essence of our position before the Lord is wrapped in sinfulness. <laughs> Verse 5 here in Psalm, chapter 51, David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So what is the reality about sinfulness? And this is a very strong theological statement by King David, who insisted that he was sinful from the very beginning. But realize that what David is not saying, right? When it says that I was conceived in sin, David is not saying that the relationship between his mother and his father in order to conceive him as a child, that the act of making love is sinful. David is not saying that. Because who created sex after all? Uh, let's try it again. There's nothing shameful about that. Who created sex? You know, part of our problem, you know, this is the bottom line. Part of our problem is that we have been so brainwashed by secular society that we're still unable to tell the truth and, and, and to be able to speak God's word in, in things that are simply right before the Lord. And the bottom line is that a sexual relation between a husband and, and wife, that this is acceptable before the Lord. Can you say yes and amen? Okay. Now, if you missed all of that, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I preached a, a message on sex. You can go back and find that if you need some more help on that. Amen? Amen. So he's not talking about the fact that what happened between his mother and father, that that was, that was all sin. Uh, no, uh, what was he really saying? He was saying that at the core of his existence and how he lived, that before God it was sinful. If you understand God's word, then you know all of us were born sinners. You know the passage it says there in Romans 3.23, what does it say? It says, all have sinned and what falls short of the glory. So that means you, me, and Dupree, uh, that we all were born sinners. Was Adam and Eve, were they born sinners? No, because they were not even what? Born. They were created. So they were not born in sin. We were born in sin. But was David simply trying to say, you know what? I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Therefore, I need for you just to excuse my behavior. 
See, we can easily say that, right? Uh, look, I, I was born that way, so therefore, since I was born that way, then you can excuse my behavior, and I can go ahead and do whatever I want to do, right? And see, uh, think about that for a moment, because it has other implications. And the other implication is this. Those people that say that, you know what? Well, I'm only attracted, if, if you're a woman, I'm only attracted to women, or if you're a man, I'm only attracted to a man. Uh, therefore, since God, uh, since I was born this way, uh, uh, you need to accept me. You need to accept my actions. But the bottom line, even though you may be uh, conceived in sin and you were brought forth in iniquity, that does not give you a pass to continue to live a life of sin. Bottom line. You see, some people would say, all of us are bad, so you know what? Don't judge me. You can't judge me. I was born this way. I can't help myself. So even though we were all born sinners, does this mean that God had intended for you to live a life of sinfulness? And the answer is no. No, he didn't. Sinfulness is a condition we all have acquired through Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were not created as sinners, but were sinless, right? Adam and Eve were the only two people, right, uh, that we know of, uh, right? Uh, Jesus Christ is an exception. But Adam and Eve, uh, they were created, right? And when they were created, they were created sinless. They had no sin. They were without original sin. Because starting with them, sin had not existed in the human race. Yet it was through them uh, that uh, sin was introduced to us. Now we find ourselves that we can't help ourselves. So David was saying, look, I, I have struggles with sin. I'm struggling with sin because, uh, look, I was conceived in sin. This is also true with the rest of us. But at least for us, we can identify an advocate who eradicates sin on our behalf. And the one that eradicates sin on our behalf is none other than Jesus Christ. Yet David still had to contend with the Lord for his own personal sin. And you know, uh, when you sin, even though you have Jesus Christ, even though I have Jesus Christ, when we sin, I didn't say if, I said what? When you sin, no, I'm not, uh, am I giving you permission to sin? And no, I'm not giving you permission to sin. No, I'm not doing that either. What I'm saying is that uh, when you sin, that you must give account to the Lord for your actions. Well, I'm saved under grace, but God is going to hold you accountable for your sin. So David, he struggled with sin. you? Do you struggle with that sinfulness? Do you struggle with disobedience to the Lord? I dare you to say that if you, you don't, uh, then you may be one of the most perfect people that I know of. Maybe you're the new savior or something. I don't know. So David would say that if he were really to tell the truth about the matter, that he was born guilty as charged. Born with a charge already leveled against him, 
and this was also true for the rest of us. We all were born guilty as charged, and, and therefore even the prettiest babies on earth were born guilty as charged. One of the things we uh, spoke very briefly of yesterday was, well, what happens to that child, right? And let's say they were born stillborn, right? Or an infant that never really had a chance to know Jesus Christ. What happens to that individual? What happens to the individual, let's say, who is uh, uh, intellectually or mentally deficient, who can't even comprehend this aspect of the gospel? Uh, those who can't read, those who, who, who can't hear, those who can't speak. What happens to them? I want you to know that God has grace for them. And as David told, uh, was telling uh, uh, the people surrounding him uh, towards the, uh, the death of his first child in, in that situation with Bathsheba, he said that uh, that uh, child uh, can not come to me, but I am going to that child. God was extending grace, saying that, you know, in these cases, uh, that this child is safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe in the arms of Jesus. But who dares says that an innocent baby is born guilty? God does. David does. Paul does. Scripture does. And we say the same thing because the testimony of the Lord is true. Now I'm going to turn the interpretation of this passage slightly. Again, to show that David was, he was not really talking about original sin as we know it that comes from Adam and Eve. But again, what he was speaking of, he was speaking of his own personal sin. He's like, look, Lord, I did wrong. And you heard it last week. Remember last week, uh, the, the prophet Nathan had finally come to David and said there was this poor man who had this little lamb, and this rich man came. He had all the money in the world, and then the rich man's friend came to town, and the rich man didn't even want to take his own money in order to uh, provide supper uh, for his guests. And he took the little lamb that the poor man had. And David says, blasphemy, blasphemy. Blasphemy, let's kill him. Who is this guy? And uh, Prophet Nathan said, the man is you. You it? You it, David? And I can hear David saying now, uh-oh. So let's stop playing games with God and admit the obvious. We're all born sinners. And all of us have a tendency to make poor decisions along the way. So God, he searches for truth, right? He's looking for truth in our innermost being. Psalm 51, verse 6. David says this, behold, speaking of the Lord, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What is this truth the Lord looks for in us? The idea behind the word truth, and you've heard me speak on this before, is integrity. The word truth could be translated as integrity because uh, integrity speaks of that which is whole, that which is complete. In the New English translation, it says this, look, 
Uh, you desire integrity in the inner man, uh, in the inner uh, woman. You desire integrity. You, oh Lord, desire wholeness. You see, when we are sinning, when we are not right before Lord, the Lord, what happens? We have a soul that's just like Swiss cheese. What do you mean by that? Because you have holes all in the place. You have holes in your soul. And you are not right, you are not complete before God. In other words, from the very fabric of who we are, there should be this truth, there should be this integrity, especially for those who are in Christ. But even behind those words, truth and integrity, we also have a basic meaning of certainty or dependability as well. And that's where I would like to take anchor very quickly. Thinking of this, these terms, dependability or certainty, it helps us to understand that when a person consistently lives in sin, they live in uncertainty. Your life is uncertain when you live in sin. Right? You kind of live, as well before, uh, in one sense, a paranoid life. Because where you may portray one thing on the outside, God is looking at the innermost being and says, you have holes all over the place. God sees the inconsistency. God sees uh, the fact that you are uncertain in your soul because you're not right with him. But to believe anything contrary to God's truth, if we believe anything or we promote anything that is contrary to God's truth, it simply means that we are deluding ourselves. You're just deluded. You're deluded in the mind. Yeah, you say one thing, but you are just deluded. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 10. First John chapter 5, verse 10. The apostle John says this. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Since the character and the word of God is reliable and true, anything we do or say to oppose who he is makes us clash with him. This means to be in sin as David was is to clash with God, therefore causing us not to have truth in our innermost being. Josh Billings says this, and I quote, as scarce as truth is, the supply has always been in excess of the demand, end quote. In other words, truth is in the world clearly, yet rarely do people search for it and instead exhaust themselves searching for a lie. Have you ever known people like that? That you are or they are more interested in trying to concoct lies. They are more interested in trying to get out of, out of this little door and this little trap to eventually they don't even know where they are. People sometimes, they tell so many lies that they forgot the first lie they told the first time. And then what do they say? I didn't say that. Oh, I said, then they go back and reconstruct what they said before because this is what I mean. And God says, thou shall not lie. So in other words, again, truth 
is in the world, yet clearly, uh, rarely do people really want it, really desire because they're always trying to figure out a way out. So would you consider yourself to be one that's certain? Would you consider yourself to be one that's reliable? Or are you uncertain? Or are you unreliable? Which are you? If you are certain and reliable, you are more like God. And if you are uncertain and reliable, guess what? You're more like the devil. Let me say that again. If you are reliable and certain, you are more like God. Amen? If you are uh, unreliable and uncertain, you are more like the devil. What what you talking about now? What you talking about now, Willis? Uh, uh, John chapter 8, verse 44. John, the gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44. says this, Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Not done yet. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. There it is. I mean, murder is enough, right? He does not stand in the truth because, why? Because there is no what? When you don't have any truth in you, guess what? You just like your daddy. Who that is? Who the devil is? Who that is? That's just your daddy. If you live in a life of a lie. Said because there is no truth in him, uh, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. A person who lies, they speak out of their own character. What is their character? That of uncertainty, that of unreliability. They're speaking out of lies. They're speaking out of the spirit of darkness. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you lie, when you lie, you are speaking out of the character of the devil himself. Have you ever thought about that? The last lie I told, I am speaking the gospel of the devil. Again, in other words, when you lie, you take after the devil and not after God, who is truly holy and righteous. So, who would you rather take after today? Hopefully, all of you would say God, the Lord God. Hopefully, none of you say, you know what? I choose the devil. Right? Hopefully, we all would say, I prefer to take after God. But know this. When sin emerges from the depth of a dark soul, it steals our joy. Sin steals your joy. Psalm 51, verses 7 through 9. David says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. We need to be cleansed. Lord, cleanse us. David says, Lord, I want you to cleanse me with 
hyssop. This hyssop, it was like a plant. It kind of reminds us of large leaves of, of, of thyme, and uh, it would be used as an applicator. So uh, they would slay the animal. The animal would be sacrificed, right? And then they would take uh, the blood of the animal, right? And they would put it in some kind of receptacle. And then they would take the hyssop and they would put the hyssop inside that receptacle, that cup. And then, of course, you would see how it would be dripping with blood. And then the priest would take now take the hyssop and he would sling it out, sling it out. And everything that was touched by the blood of that animal, by the blood of that lamb. You see, everything that was touched by it, it was cleansed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. Hebrews 9, 19. Hebrews 9, 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled blood both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. You see that? Everything is purified with blood. So when David says, Lord, I need uh, for you uh, to purge me with hyssop, he was saying, sprinkle me with the blood of forgiveness. To be acceptable to the Lord God, the people needed to be cleansed. And there was no other way other than with that hyssop and with blood. Could God have insisted on using water? The problem with using water is that God demands a life when you sin. Every time you sin, God wants your life. Did you know that? Every time a person sins, God says there's only one remedy of sin, and that is your life. So how do you get out of it? Well, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're set, amen. Uh, we don't go out here sinning all willy-nilly. First off, amen. Can you say amen to that? Right, But every time that you sin and you really you didn't mean to do it and you come before the Lord, you confess your sin before the Lord, you know that the blood of Jesus Christ it automatically covers you. Amen? Come on, amen. You got to be happy because of that. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, know that when you sin, you have no advocate. You have no one that will stand in your stead when God demands justice, when God demands payment for your sin. It is you he wants. And if you die for your own sins, how can you live in heaven? It simply will not happen. Jesus Christ has become both our applicator and our sacrifice. So Jesus is our hyssop, amen. He is the vehicle in which the blood is applied to us, amen. But Jesus is also the sacrifice as well. He becomes the applicator. He becomes that vehicle which transfers the blood from one vessel to the next vessel. But he's also that sacrifice. The psalmist is saying here, he says, purge me with hyssop. He was saying, God, descend me. Descend me, God. 
Isn't that what most of our cries to the Lord sound like? Oh, Lord, I've sinned again. De-sin me, oh, God. Because what we're looking for is like, uh, <laughs> recall, you know, doing math in elementary school, you're learning you know, all those, you know, all those equations, all the other stuff, right? And they, they insist that you would write on a paper using pencil, amen? And of course, you know, I was a little uh, obstinate at times when the teacher would tell us that we needed to write uh, using pencil. A lot of times I would write using pen anyway. I said, because I tell the teacher, I'm not going to make a mistake. Boy, was I wrong. Soon I learned that I needed to write with, uh, with pencil, Real soon, but sometimes when you do, when you're doing some work and you know you've made a mistake, you have to go back and do what? You have to go back and erase because you want to go ahead and erase everything that you had had gotten wrong, and then you go back and you try uh, to write all over again, uh, so the teacher wouldn't be able to see anything that you had was there originally. But you know that uh, the best work was the work that you would erase when you would use a clean eraser. Remember that? I used to have one of those one of those dirty erasers. You know those dirty erasers. You go, you start erasing stuff, right? And you try erasing your, your work with it. And what happens to the paper? It get all smeared and blotchy and all jacked up. And the teacher would say, if it's really messed up bad enough, I don't want that. You need to use a clean eraser. You see, with us, when we see our sin, when we try to do it ourselves, we use a dirty eraser. When we try to erase our own sin, uh, we are dirty erasers, and we erase, and you says, look, God, see me now? God says, you're still unclean. God said, there's only one clean eraser, and Jesus Christ is the only one that can eradicate, the only one that can erase your sins. You see, even when we think we are right, we attempt to erase our own sin, uh, we use that dirty eraser to clean up, uh, to cover up, and ultimately we smear our sin all over the place. You can't do it on your own, and neither could David. So David, he desperately needed to have his sin cleansed from him because he had a problem. David was missing the joy of an intimate relationship with the Lord. Do you ever know when you're out of fellowship with God? Do you know when you're not in fellowship with the Lord? If you don't know when you're not in fellowship with the Lord, you have a problem. You should always know when you're not near to the Lord. How do you know? One way we can tell is if we can sense that God is closest to us than ever. Or if he's further away. Or it's like that person, uh, they, they see you, Right? And they can look at you and they'll say that, uh, they'll say something like, what's wrong with you? And you'll say, nothing, I'm good. I have the joy of the Lord as my, my strength. And they're looking right at you and they'll know something is wrong with you. Because the vibe is just not right. The vibe ain't right. You begin to wonder, what have I done wrong? Or maybe you do realize that you have done wrong, but you have just avoided the issue until right now. So sin causes a good relationship to turn sour. You don't need illustrations of this because you already know what the reality is. Does sin create more joy? Or does it create more friction and more problems? 
But eventually, especially when there's no correction, it causes the long-lasting problem between you and God and ultimately a long-lasting problem between you and people. Do you know when your relationship is not right with God, don't you know it affects your intimate relationship with other people? When your relationship is not right with God, that's why I always ask people, right, when things are going on, the first thing I ask, how is your relationship with God? First, let's just start there. How is your relationship with the Lord? Right? And if we can get that squared away, then we can, maybe we can move on. There's some interpersonal uh, issues going on. But lost fellowship with the Lord, David describes it as physical ailment. He says here in verse 8, he says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. We uh, had, uh, went to the Lord's table earlier. And we were reading there in 1 Corinthians 11 how, how Paul said that some people were sick and some people had died because they had come to the Lord's table in the wrong way. And now David is, is now telling us uh, that uh, when you are in sin, it's like your bones have been broken. You know, your, even your body is not right. So David knew that the Lord loved him and he knew that he needed to please God as well. Uh, haven't you heard it said that you hurt the one that you love? That song goes, hurt the one you wit. Someone said, when you hurt the one you love, you are bound to hurt yourself. Can't you hear David's pain when he says, oh Lord, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He is saying he's hurting. Do you ever hurt on the inside? Because you have not pleased God. But was he thinking about broken bones when he encountered Bathsheba? When he saw Bathsheba, uh, did he look at her and say, uh-huh, all right now. Did he say, oh, yeah, look at Bathsheba. Boy, oh, boy, my bones going to get broken. Man, Lord, he's going to tear me up. Lord's going to just about kill me. Was he thinking of that? 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 2, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Says this. It happened. Late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. That he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And oh, the woman was fine. David sent one of his boys, said, y'all need to go find out who this bad mama jama is. His boy came back to him and said, look here, king. That's Bathsheba. Uh, she's the daughter of Iliam and oh, oh, oh a king by the way she is the wife of Uriah so that was close that was close verse 4 happened so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness uncleanness then she returned to her house where in that did David say, you know what? God is just going to just about kill me if I do this. 
Where did we hear David say, you know what? You know, maybe I shouldn't. For David, it was all, he's just full steam ahead. Uh, it seemed like he didn't have one moment of reflection. Well, maybe I should. You know what? Maybe, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't. You know, you know, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't because this is, this is going to turn out really bad. But it's like not a moment of pause. He went straight ahead after her. He say to himself, man, when I'm finished, I'm going to be broken up like an old retired football player. Of course not. All he could think of is, how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to do it? How am I going to make it work? Did he think that the Lord was not going to be near when he thought of a plan to kill Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? Sin on top of sin. Sin births sin. 2 Samuel 11, verses 14 and 15 now. So in the morning, David said, you know what? Yeah, I messed up. I need to make everything right. So let me just get it all right. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Remember Bathsheba's husband? Verse 15, in the letter he wrote, uh, this is what David wrote in the letter, uh, to be handed to Joab by Uriah. Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Poor Uriah, he didn't know that he had his own death warrant in his own hand. Did David think to himself, I'm going to be in the biggest trouble ever with the Lord when I do this? And the answer is no, because you know when you are in the throes of sin, you only want what you want when you want it. It doesn't have to be a sexual sin. It could be lies. It could be theft. It could be homosexuality, right? It could be a wide variety of, of things, right? We only want what we want when we want it. Then when we sin, we want God to respond with grace. When we have abandoned ourselves in sin, we realize that we have taken a wrong step. Psalm 51 verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Erase them, erase them, Lord, erase them. We want God to quickly forgive us, and I certainly understand this. We figure that he is able to do a miraculous deed within himself since he is stronger than us, right? Yes. But one thing we can say about David is that he knew that he wronged the Lord and he took full responsibility finally. Right? Sometimes we delay. David did delay a little bit, but he realized that he was not right before the, the Lord, and he confessed, and he said, Oh, Lord, is Lord, is Lord, is me in need of forgiveness. Have you taken full responsibility of your sin? It's really wonderful that David wrote this song, isn't it? When the last time you wrote a song about your sin? When the last time you decided, you know what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to write a song, and I'm going to put it on a podcast, and I'm just going to uh, sing everything about all of my sin before the Lord. When was the last time you did that? You see, when we bring confession of sin, it opens the door for us to have a right relationship with the Lord. When you confess your sin, God is not saying, you know what, no, don't do that. He's saying, what? He's saying, come on. Because ultimately, what he wants is what? 
He wants us. God wants you. He really does. Above all things. Yeah, you messed up. Come on. How many of you in here have never messed up? I mean, tell the truth. How many of you in here uh, messed up more than two times? Don't raise your hand because I know it's all of y'all. How many of you messed up more than three times? Please don't raise your hands because I'd be the only one in here raising my hand. Right? Right. We mess up. Do you think God knows you mess up? So what does he really want? He wants you because he loves you. So it's really great that David, he, just, he decided to write this, to tell, he put all his business out there. There's no social media, no Instagram, no Facebooking and anything else. None of that stuff existed, no Twittering. He decided to write a song, and here we are thousands of years later talking about his sin. You guys want people talking about your sin thousands of years later? And the answer is yes. If it's going to help someone else not sin. The answer is yes, because one day you think you're going to care. You're not going to care. So the best thing to do is confess our sin. And we heard it last time. I said again, uh, first, uh, John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, he is what faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Are you tired of feeling distance from the Lord? Bottom line is the longer you wait, the further you get. The longer you wait, the further you get from God. The further you get from God, the more depressed you become, the more hopeless you become, and you begin to wonder yourself, what's the use? What's the use of living? No one loves me, not even God loves me. But this is a clarion call from God telling us to confess because Jesus is there to cleanse yet again. I know you messed up, God says. But guess what? He says, that's okay. Are you bold enough? Are you courageous enough? To make a decision now. To call those things like God is already calling in your life. Sin gives us an illusion. It makes us feel as if we're going to be happy, happy, happy. You know, I'm happy, right? When I think of sin, I think of being happy, 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 happy. We never think about I'm going to be hurt hurt, jacked up, and sometimes even for the rest of your life. Now's the time. Let's pray.